It was another wild NFL weekend as some teams had some Christmas magic and others got the old bah humbug as we're just two weeks away from the end of the regular season. The NBA had its annual star-studded Christmas matchups, which were more coals in their stocking than big gifts with a ribbon on top. On the ice, it's been a very quiet, as in no games over the weekend, but Alexander Ovechkin has one more mountain to climb in his quest to be the greatest goal scorer in NHL history. Do I have to go down this Carl's Correa road yet again as the Mets are now looking into his medical history? I could tell him what they should do at this point. And the latest on Trevor Bauer, remember him? And sad news in the world of MMA with the passing of Stefan Bomber. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. Still hungover from all the food, drinks, gifts, and gathering of family and friends over the Christmas weekend. Well, I hope it was a merry and festive one for you and yours, wherever you may be. And with Hanukkah ending today, Kwanzaa commencing today, I'm still in a giving mood as we have a jam-packed, rapid-fire, passion-filled sports podcast on the way as this is the J-Reels Podcast with your host, J-Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. There was lots to unwrap over the past two days as you had plenty of football and a full day of NBA to chew on as we get this party started. And as we talk about the NFL, to sum up Week 16, which concludes tonight in Indianapolis and a big game for that matter, not necessarily for the Colts as we all know, but for the Chargers as they try to put themselves in even better position in the AFC considering what had taken place more so yesterday, but obviously the last couple of days. But there are teams that have fought hard to get to where they're at in the playoff hunt. We've seen some slippage and some of those teams are gasping for air at the moment. And there are also a couple of teams that have gained momentum and are either in pole position 
or have had things break their way to having not only a good shot to make it to the postseason, but an excellent shot. A team that we didn't think was anywhere near about a month ago, which is a great segue to get into my winners and losers of the week. My winners of the week, I'm going to say the Carolina Panthers, only because the Detroit Lions, one of those teams that have fought long and hard, started 1-6, and six, were 6-1 six and one in their past seven, to get their record even at 7-7, seven and seven, and they go to Carolina against a team that lost the week before to the Steelers at home, and what did they do? They ran roughshod over the Lions, and you had to expect that. The Lions had come back from literally the dead to put themselves in a position where they were on the outside looking in, but with a tough loss there in Carolina, 37-23, and the Panthers knew that they had to win to keep pace with the next team that I'll get into as far as the NFC South goes and knowing that the division is still right for the taking with their win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers earlier in the year, which now goes to my winner number two. And the Buccaneers, talk about a dead team that was walking. And for the most part, we thought that at 16-6, to with about 10 minutes left to go in the fourth quarter, the Buccaneer offense was futile. They were awful. It looked like they were ready to pack it up and fly back to Tampa to open whatever Christmas gifts and get the season over with. But they pulled it out with a big TD drive there in the middle part of the fourth quarter and then got a big turnover from a fumble by Trace McSorley, who was the third-string quarterback, as we know, without Colt McCoy and also with Kyla Murray out for the remainder of the year and into next year with the ACL injury. And McSorley, who you can't put it all on him, first NFL start, Actually wasn't too bad, but with that fumble leading to a field goal to tie the game and then went into overtime before the Buccaneers were able to get out of Arizona with a 19-16 win, as we say all the time, it doesn't matter when it comes to style points, it doesn't matter how you win, it could be the ugliest win and this was one that you could certainly put in the U column as an ugly and the Buccaneers live to see another day, 7-8, and eight, with Carolina breathing down their necks in a huge game, which we'll talk about more so later in the week in the last podcast of 2022. But at least for now, Tampa still has the top spot in the NFC South. They do control their own destiny, but with a big matchup against Carolina on the horizon, that's going to be for the division. For all intents and purposes. Now, of course, with the game behind Carolina that they are right now, If they do beat the Buccaneers, they'll be tied for first, but they'll have the tiebreaker with the sweep of the regular season. But again, they still have to win their final game at home, I believe. Oh no, I think it's in New Orleans. But I'll get to that later on as we recap what will be a very interesting final two weeks here of the NFL season. And then just some honorable mentions I'll throw in. Another big winner, give it up for the Houston Texans. They've had a long year. We know the type of season that they've had under Lovey Smith. One win, they were what, 112-1 going into their game against Tennessee. And I guess they looked at this as a Super Bowl type of setting for them, knowing that if they beat the Titans, and it wasn't much when you think about it, because with Ryan Tannehill out for the remainder of the year, and Malik Willis, who's shown you nothing so far, despite the fact that he shot up the draft board as far as his workouts, all of the combine stuff, and that's where the combine stuff could be overrated. And that's not to knock Malik Willis. Hopefully he does have a long NFL career. But what we've seen so far this season 
in the spot performances that he's had has been anything but superlative. In fact, it's actually been, I don't want to go as far as saying a disaster, but let's call it as we see it. He has not played well here. And I understand you can't put it all on him. This was a team that was 7-3, and three, the Titans, and now they're 7-8 and eight to where the Jaguars, and I'll get to them in a minute, have now put themselves in a position where, as I mentioned at the top, pole position in the division where right now they're currently in first place and give it up to Houston by winning their game on Saturday on the road in Tennessee. A big win for that franchise as they try to look ahead to getting the number one pick in the draft next year and hopefully getting a quarterback in there to turn the fortunes of that franchise around considering everything that's happened in the last two years, Deshaun Watson having to trade him and everything that has pretty much just been upended for the Texan franchise at least to have something to hang their hat on here this Christmas holiday with a big win against the Tennessee Titans. And then lastly, with an honorable mention, and I get it, people are going to say, okay, Jay Reels put the Pittsburgh Steelers and pat them on the back for their victory. And it was, talk about another game in the U column as an ugly. They won the game, the spirit of Franco Harris leading into not only that game, but the anniversary of the immaculate reception 50 years ago this past Thursday, and of course the untimely passing of Franco Harris just two days before that, and everything leading up to that game, the retirement of the jersey at halftime, representing the 72 Steelers that were there in the building, Frenchie Fuqua of course, spinning the terrible towels, you saw Mel Blunt, you saw a lot of the old players there, and on their final drive, Kenny Pickett was able to make a couple of big completions to Pat Fryermuth, Najee Harris, a big fourth and one, which they had to go ahead and get the first down there on a sneak by Pickett, and then the touchdown to George Pickens in the end zone as the Steelers still alive, but to me, they're not going to make it to the postseason. They have a lot of work ahead of them. They have the Ravens upcoming on a Sunday night, which is not going to be an easy game before playing Cleveland, and they need a lot of help to get into the postseason, so I'm not even banking on that. But at least with everything that had transpired from Wednesday to Saturday and all of the celebratory yet somber celebration that they had for the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, knowing that the Steelers came out victorious in that matchup against the Raiders, obviously the team that they played in that playoff game a half a century ago. So give it up for the Steelers and winning one for Franco. As far as my losers of the week, the first one has to go to the Miami Dolphins. And I understand Tua Tagovailoa has had his moments this year. A lot of it being in the early part of the season, i.e. in Baltimore. And then he had his moments there in the middle of the season, coming back from that concussion as we saw in Cincinnati in, what was it, week four. And even though they played the Lions at the time who weren't any good, they played the Bears, they played teams that they were able to beat up along the way, the Texans, and put themselves at 8-3. and three. And we knew that that three-game road trip, as I talked about quite a bit over the last month, was going to be, not going to say daunting, but it certainly was going to be challenging. And they were 0-3, although there were signs in the final game of that road trip in Buffalo to where they played well. And actually, I'll go as far as saying should have won the game. They did not. And we all know there are no moral victories when it comes to the NFL or any sport for that matter. But for them to finally have a home game against a Packer team that is starting to warm up, and even with the weather, which was un-South Florida-like, it was in the low 50s, 
and cloudy. Certainly did not have a feel of a game in December in Miami when you were probably hoping for 75 degrees and sunny. But the quarterback who takes a lot of hits here and a lot of blame at 20 to 13, he was unable to hold the lead. And especially in that fourth quarter, as the Packers took over and had a six point lead there late on three straight possessions through interception after interception after interception. And although I mentioned that game against Baltimore back in week two, but there was no pressure on the Dolphins. Granted, it was a miraculous comeback. 35-14, they came all the way back from 21 points behind. Was it also partially the Raven defense? Quite possibly. But a game in September, week two, is not going to have the same magnitude as a game in late December when your playoff lives are on the line. And as we saw there with Tua, he came up very small. And the Dolphins, although they could still get into the postseason with two wins, at least for right now, knowing that they have to go to New England next week in another cold-weather game against a Patriot team that is certainly fumbling, bumbling, and stumbling here toward the end of the regular season, and then they're going to have to host a Jet team, which is pretty much in the same category as the Patriots, maybe even worse, and I'll get to them in a minute. But chances are, although it's in their favor, despite having to travel up to the Northeast next week, and then having to host that final game, it's still all in front of them for the Dolphins to make it to the postseason. That's my loser number one. And then on the flip side of that, and I didn't want to call them a winner, only because to me this was more on the Dolphins than it was on the Packers, but the Packers are now a team that's on the come up here. At 4-8, and eight, everybody had them left for dead, including yours truly, and I still don't think they're going to make it to the playoffs, even with the final two games in their building. They have Minnesota coming in, and Detroit, two divisional games, which are always tricky, But the path for the Packers to make it to the playoffs have gotten a little bit more significant and their odds have increased. Does it mean they're going to make it? They still need some help, even with the two wins. And as long as the teams that are ahead of them, like the Giants and the Commanders, start to slip, as we've seen with the Commanders here over the last couple of weeks, the Packers will put themselves in good stead to get into the back door, to in all likelihood be a seventh seed, and see if they could roll the dice and try to run the table like they did in 2010 when there were road warriors to get to a Super Bowl and win the only time that Aaron Rodgers has made it to the big dance and won. So you got to give it up to what the Packers have done, but there's still some work to be done as well as some help along the way. And they certainly got a lot of help over the weekend with a lot of these losses, whether it was the Giants, the Commanders, even the Seahawks. So... They got to count their lucky stars and good old Santa for that nice present that they got when they woke up on Christmas morning knowing that if they would have won that game, they would actually inch closer to a possible playoff berth. So I got to throw that in there with the whole theme of teams that are putting themselves in good position and the Packers are certainly one of them. My other loser of the week, and I hate to pound on this team because they've been so well the whole year, but I have to say that the Eagles' performance there on Saturday, when you're up 34-27 with about eight minutes to go and it's third down and 30, you got to make a stop. And I understand this Eagle defense isn't the 91 Eagle defense of Reggie White, Jerome Brown, Andre Dirty Waters, those players of yesteryear, Seth Joyner, Clyde Simmons, etc. But could they make a stop there? Instead, they give up a 52-yard completion to T.Y. Hilton, who just got there five minutes ago. And then that led to a C.D. Lamb touchdown to tie the game. 
and then a fumble, or I should say an interception, and then a fumble, which led to the final six points, two field goals by Brett Maher, and the Cowboys escape with a 40-34 win. Now, I understand this is a game that's pretty much meaningless when we look at the big picture in the NFC East. But for the Eagles to not hang on to win that game there in the fourth quarter, and Minshew actually played pretty good. He had a little bit of that Minshew magic that he had in Jacksonville, and Devontae Smith, a couple of hookups there, and he had an explosive game. But the defense came up small in that spot. Darius Slay, how did T.Y. Hilton, I guess he wasn't expecting him to get by him and the secondary for that big completion. But I have to look at the Eagles here to say that was a game that they could have won. And I'll even say go as far as saying should have won and would have put the Cowboys to rest, obviously, in the division, which is still not going to be a factor. But they could have locked up home field, and now they're going to have to wait another week based on what happened in Minnesota earlier that day. And the Eagles have not locked up a one seed. And if they would have won that game, that would have been it. But knowing that they had a lead in the fourth quarter and they were that close from winning, I have to give them my second loser of the week. And as I go back to that theme of teams that have put themselves in good position, the Jacksonville Jaguars, what could you say? Now, that game Thursday night wasn't anything that you're going to write home about. Now, I understand it could be more on the Jets than it is on Jacksonville. But for the Jaguars to now pull even in the AFC South, as I mentioned earlier, with Tennessee losing, and Jacksonville has it all in front of them. They know that they can win the division outright with two wins, and in particular, a win in the final game at home against Tennessee, which would put them into the playoffs, whether it be at 9-8 and eight or even 8-9. and nine. And you would think that Jacksonville, with all the momentum that they've had and a lot of these big games that they were able to win here, I would be very surprised. And I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but I'd be almost shocked if they didn't make it into the postseason. Based on the meltdown and the free fall that Tennessee's going through, Malik Willis, as I mentioned earlier, he's not the guy that's going to lead them to victory. You're going to have to give the ball 40 times for Derrick Henry to carry and eat tons of clock and keep the ball away from Malik Willis' hands. But with Jacksonville knowing that they have the Texans, or they have to go to Houston, and think about what they just did to Tennessee just a couple days ago. So you know they're going to be up for that game. So Jacksonville is going to have to worry about a trap game scenario, if you can believe it, here late in the season. Even if they're not victorious in this game, they still have destiny in their own hands, even with Tennessee hosting Dallas on Thursday night, even if they do happen to win, because both teams are currently at 7-8. and eight. So even if the Titans do happen to take first place all by themselves come next weekend. It's still all in Jacksonville's hands as long as they win that final game against the Titans at home. So give it up for them. And then the Jets on the flip side, it looks like the Zach Wilson era after two years is going to be over. Not only based on this performance day the other night, but you also have to couple what happened in Foxborough the month prior, that whole scenario. I think a lot of the teammates have pretty much phased them out. Not only based on the comments, just putting the defense and all the onus not on him to say that he did not disappoint the defense up in New England, him having to be benched, Mike White coming in and almost being a hero for the most part, but then suffering the 
broken ribs that he did a couple weeks back in Buffalo and who knows what his status is going to be for a game in Seattle which they're desperately going to have to win and they're going to face a Seattle Seahawks team that is also in desperation mode when it comes to making the playoffs. So for Zach Wilson and talk about a lot of soul searching, talk about a lot of just everything when it comes to him being a number two overall pick and having to maybe in all likelihood face the fact that he may not even be on this team moving forward. And that's going to be a tough pill for the Jet fan, for the Jet organization to swallow because they thought that even with the miss that they had from Sam Darnold, they thought, all right, we got a reprieve, we got our guy, and it looks like he is far from that. And who knows if he's even going to play come Sunday in Seattle. I would think Mike White, if he's even 80% healthy, he's probably going to give it a shot. Not only is their season on the line, but I'm sure they do not want to have number two under center to try to even save whatever face of this Jet season, which looked very promising about a month ago and now looking like it's out to sea. Now, as for the games of note on Saturday, the two biggies, especially in the NFC, Giants were in Minnesota, which was a very entertaining game. Both quarterbacks played very well. Big play at 17-16. The Vikings get a block punt, which leads to a touchdown to make it 24-16. But then the Giants came roaring back with a Saquon Barkley touchdown. They're late in the game, and it looked like it was about to go into overtime. But a big third down conversion from Kirk Cousins to Justin Jefferson, who by far is the best receiver in the sport. He continues to razzle and dazzle. And there isn't anything else you could say about the season that he's had. And of course, the receiver that he's becoming here in his first few years in the sport and for the Vikings to then pull it off a 61 yard field goal by Greg Joseph to end the game and the Vikings who have been in these one score games throughout the whole year which say what you want about the Vikings and how unimpressive that they've been beating certain teams especially the top echelon teams I understand you can look at the game in Buffalo but remember if it wasn't because of a Josh Allen fumble in the end zone they would have lost that game We know about the game against Dallas, obviously early in week two against Philly, and then squeaking by these games, whether it be the Giant game here or coming back from 33-0 against the Colts there last weekend. We could talk about all these games, but the Vikings know how to play in these close games, and they pull out another one, and as long as they're home, especially in the first two rounds of the postseason, they should be in a good spot. Now, granted, that if they get to week two in the division round, and if everything breaks as we would probably expect, the Vikings will have to host the Niners, which is going to be a very tricky game to say the least, even though it's in their building and having that home field advantage. But again, we know the Niners have been stout, they've been tough, and they've been a team that had been nipping at that two seed over the last couple of weeks. And the segue to that, Brock Purdy, his legend, continues to grow. Granted, he's not lighting the world on fire in the stat sheet, but he's managing the game. He's playing right, playing well, and even with a sluggish first half that they had, they were able to pile on in the second half with George Kittle getting a couple of touchdowns, and they pull away from the Commanders, who now their season is starting to slip through their hands as they've really hit an abutment here over the last month or so. And the Niners continue to apply pressure to the Vikings to see if they could get that two seed and it would be huge 
because we would think as of right this second, the Vikings could get to Philadelphia if it were to play out that way as long as they have the two games in their building. Obviously, it doesn't guarantee them that trip to Philly, but you would feel a lot better if you're a Viking fan to my guy, Headstyle and Kev, that you would have to play those two games, the wild card and the divisional round in their building as opposed to having the wild card and then have to fly out to San Francisco to play in a divisional game. So, as of right this second, 12-3 and three to 11-4, and four, those are the two teams that are occupying your two and three seeds in the NFC. Other than that, the rest of the slate was pretty ho-hum. I know the Saints are still hanging around in the NFC South, hoping to catch a break or two in the division, but they continue to keep pace. They are a game back, but remember, Tampa had swept them earlier this year, so they have no tiebreakers against them. But New Orleans still keeps their slim hopes alive by beating the Browns there in Cleveland on Saturday. And Deshaun Watson has been a mess. He has not been good. And all right, maybe we can lay off him considering he hadn't played football in almost two years. But he has not gotten himself on track. And I wonder if there's some murmurs in Cleveland wondering that, hey, is this guy ever going to get his skill level up to where we saw in Houston a couple of years back where he was one of the I'm not going to say top five quarterbacks, but young quarterbacks that were on the rise. Again, I'll give him a partial pass because of that, but you would think four games in that he would slowly but surely increase, and it's not as if he's been playing world beaters, to say the least. All right, he played the Bengals at one time, but again, first game against Houston, I know that was going to be tough sledding for him, but these last couple of weeks have not been good, so you got to wonder Deshaun Watson as he closes out this season And he has to go to Washington and Pittsburgh on the road again, which I'm sure it's going to be a little bit hostile for both commanders fighting for their playoff lives and the Steelers. They're going to want to beat Cleveland based on their longstanding rivalry going back many decades. So that's what you have there. Seattle, Kansas City, a ho-hum game where Kansas City continues to keep pace with both Buffalo and ahead of the Cincinnati Bengals for the top seed. Nothing much to talk about here. As we mentioned, Seattle is going to host the Jets this week in pretty much a loser leaves town matchup. So we'll see how that fares. Speaking of which, Buffalo wins in Chicago, pulls away in the second half. No surprise there. Competitive in the first half. And I thought this was going to be competitive and maybe quite possibly an upset special. But Buffalo was able to prevail as they continue to keep their number one perch, although tied with Kansas City, but having that tiebreaker as the number one seed in the AFC. I'm not going to get into Atlanta and Baltimore. Baltimore wins 17-9. Not much to discuss there. I'm not going to get into LA, the Rams that is, pasting Denver, 51-14. The coach has to go, as we've said. Russell Wilson, his skills have eroded and declined right in front of our eyes. And you got to wonder, there's going to be, I would think, a back of the truck, maybe even an overhaul there, especially with the coaching staff, because Nathaniel Hackett has to go and who knows, Russell Wilson's going to have a long off season to get himself prepped and ready to go for next year. But that's a long time between now and then. But the Broncos lose terribly to a Ram team that's just as bad, if not worse. And other than that, that's what you have here for oh Cincinnati, New England. That's another game I should have discussed, my bad. And the Bengals had a 22-0 lead at the half. And New England came all the way back. They were down 22-18 and actually had a chance to take the go-ahead score into the end zone and maybe even win the game, but Ramondre Stevenson, who as we all know the week before started the lateral nonsense at the end of the game to where 
Jacoby Myers threw the errant pass to Chandler Jones and then ran it into the end zone for a touchdown for the Raiders. Well, this time he fumbled at the doorstep of the goal line and the Bengals were able to get out of New England with a victory to keep themselves not only a game ahead in the AFC North, but also to keep themselves in pace with KC and even with Buffalo. And they have an enormous matchup a week from tonight. Buffalo and Cincinnati, which for all intents and purposes will likely be for a two seed at least and possibly a one seed considering. Because the Bills are 12-3, and the Bengals are 11-4, and and with a win there, they'll obviously have even records along with KC, who right now would be ahead of them because they're also a 12-3 and if they do happen to win their last two games. And I believe they have Denver, and then they go to the Raiders to close out their year. So a lot of intrigue, a lot is going to take place here over these final couple of weeks. As we break this all down, we talked about who the one seeds are, obviously in both conferences, and even with Minnesota, just a game behind the Eagles in the NFC, but as we all know, Philadelphia beat Minnesota early in the year, so that tiebreaker goes out the window for the Vikings, but as we take a look here, and I'll start with the NFC while we're at it, we know it's Philadelphia, Minnesota, San Francisco, and right now it's currently Tampa as your top four seeds followed by Dallas at 5, the Giants at 6, and the Commanders at 7. We do know about the Seahawks, Lions, and Packers. They're all behind 7 and 8. Just a half game behind the Commanders, because remember that tie. But here's the thing, when we look at tiebreakers, Seattle has a tiebreaker over Detroit. Right now, Detroit has a tiebreaker over Green Bay, based on their head-to-head matchup. So that's why these games are imperative down the stretch. And as I mentioned, Seattle, they do have their final two games at home with the Jets and Rams in their building. So let's see if they can get back to winning ways and see where the chips fall at the end of the season. Detroit, they currently have the Bears at home and then at the Packers, which is going to be enormous on the final day of the season. And then when it comes to, we talked about Green Bay's final two games at home, obviously Minnesota next week. And then I have to throw in Carolina, as we talked about earlier, as far as the NFC South. They have a do-or-die, division-takes-all type of game this coming Sunday at Tampa before going to New Orleans to close out their year. But as I mentioned earlier, even if they do beat the Buccaneers on Sunday, and yes, they would have the advantage to win the division as long as they win their final game. But of course, if they lose that final game and then Tampa wins against Atlanta, then the Buccaneers will win a division. So that's how the NFC shakes down. The Giants are in good stead to win one of the final playoff spots in the NFC. And in Washington, they do have it right in front of them. And the Commanders do have the Browns coming into their building as well as the Cowboys. The Cowboys will have nothing to play for at that point. So I'm sure they're going to rest some players. So Washington does control their own destiny. And as I mentioned, as we talked about with the Packers needing help, the Lions and the Seahawks, Obviously, they're going to need help down the stretch. And of course, one of these two teams, or all three of those teams will cancel each other out because Seattle has tiebreaker over Detroit, as I mentioned. And if Detroit does win that final game, if it does mean anything, if they do beat the Packers, they'll sweep them in the regular season. AFC, a little bit simpler, where we have Buffalo, KC, Cincinnati, 
and Jacksonville, if you can believe it, right now are your top four seeds in the AFC, followed by Baltimore at the five, the Chargers at the sixth seed, and then Miami is your seventh seed as the Patriots, Jets, Titans, and even Steelers, they're still alive. The thing about the Patriots and Jets, though, very interesting because the Patriots have the sweep over the Jets throughout the regular season, so that cancels them out. But the Patriots also have very tricky games. They have Miami at home, and then they got to go to Buffalo, which may or may not need the game, so you got to remember that. The Jets, we already talked about them and what their potential prospects are, but they could get a seven seed if New England does lose one of their two remaining games, and if the Jets, or I should say they have to lose both of those games, now that I think about it, and then if the Jets can make it to the postseason, if they win their next two, which would also mean they'll have a tiebreaker over Miami because they beat them early in the season. So as long as the Patriots lose the next two, and they possibly could, and Miami obviously is going to need the game next week, the Jets, as long as they win in Seattle, could go into that week 18 game against the Patriots controlling their own destiny. Or excuse me, against the Dolphins. And that game is in Miami. And again, as far as Tennessee, they need to win the division and they could still do that if they win their next two games. And as I mentioned earlier, Jacksonville just just has to win one of their next two in order for them to win a division. And that's what we got in the NFL, people. Chargers tonight, big game there. Even if they do lose, they'll still have the sixth seed because they did beat the Dolphins a few weeks ago on that Sunday night game. So it's not imperative that they win this game, but it would certainly help if they do win just to keep themselves in good standing in the AFC to secure a playoff spot. And that's what we have here in the National Football League as we conclude Week 16 this evening. All right, as I take off my helmet and shoulder pads to put on the high tops to go through the NBA, and yes, it was a day for the NBA Yesterday, as we know, now granted the games in the NFL, I get it that the Dolphin-Packer game was thrilling, especially in the second half, and obviously meant a lot when it comes to both of those teams' playoff picture, but the other two games you can forget about, and even the nightcap with Tampa and Arizona, I get it at the end there with the comeback by the Buccaneers, but the NBA games, overall, you would think they would have been better with all the Big-time matchups starting from 12 noon, Sixers-Knicks and capping it off with Denver and Phoenix. But the games throughout the course of the day were eh. Now, I didn't watch every minute of every game, of course. But you had the Knicks and Sixers who were pretty competitive throughout the course of the game. Actually, the Knicks led most of the game before the Sixers started off with a big run in the fourth quarter. 35 points for Joel Embiid. 29-13 29-13 and 13 for James Harden. And why is this story coming up with James Harden thinking about a possible reunion with the Rockets at the end of the season? Some of these stories that have come out saying that people in his inner circle are thinking that maybe he'll go back to Houston to cap off his career, knowing that the team is very young, very green, but on the come up that he could be the elder statesman and the leader of that team. And as we all know, James Harden and leader in the same sentence does not go together. Let's call it as we see it. But why is this talk coming up now in the midst of an eight-game winning streak as the Sixers are playing their best ball and they're going to have Tyrone Maxey come back into the fold here in the days to come? I don't know why, but you had the Knicks who had won eight in a row themselves but now have lost three in a row. So they have a bit of a hiccup here 
over the course of the last few games, but the Sixers are riding high, and which was a very good game, but the Sixers pulled away there late. That was your game number one. The Mavericks and Lakers, Mavericks who were trailing by 11 at the half, then scored 51 points in a third quarter, which pretty much led to a laugher as the Lakers have now lost four in a row without Anthony Davis in the lineup. And as far as AD is concerned, he's probably going to rest for another seven to 10 days. Surgery could be an option here. And if that's the case, he may be on the shelf. I don't know about the remainder of the year, but he's going to be out a lot longer than he has currently, which is in the mire of a four-game losing streak. And the Lakers, who look like they were on the... I'm not going to say the men, but after that slow start and then getting to about a game or two under 500 are now 13 and 20. They had to put Russell Westbrook at center in certain parts of the game there yesterday as their team is very small. We know that they don't have many, if any, shooters from the outside. And the Lakers right now are just trying to tread water here and not get too far deep into this NBA season, which is more than a third of the way in. And for the Lakers, what more can you say? They're only hoping to get Anthony Davis back from that 7-10 to day window just to get rest. But with his recent injury history, it's almost impossible to think that he's going to come back 100% and at least go through the remainder of the season as healthy as he possibly can be. We know he's a big man. We know he's had foot injuries, ankle and leg injuries throughout the past couple of years. Do I think it's going to get any better? If you ask me, absolutely not. He could take two months off and once he comes back into the lineup and he may be effective and he may play well, but sadly it's just a matter of time before he goes back on the injured list and then the Lakers season goes up in smoke. The third matchup, Bucks and Celtics, their first go at it since the conference semifinals of a year ago and for at least a half, it looked like it was going to be tooth and nail and down to the wire. But Jason Tatum had 41. They took off in the second half and they coasted to a 21-point victory. Things got a little testy in the fourth quarter between Jalen Brown and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Even Marcus Smart is yapping at the bench there at the Bucs. But cooler heads prevailed and they're going to see each other two more times. Once, I believe, next month and then at the end of March. Both of those games in Milwaukee. And who knows, that could be a precursor of what could lie ahead to maybe even a possible conference final matchup in late May into June. So we'll certainly keep our eyes on that. Then you had Memphis and Golden State. This is another conference semi-rematch from last year. A lot of short memories as people think back to last year with the John Morant injury, Jordan Poole grabbing the knee, and the Warriors, as we all know, coming off of an embarrassing 1-5 road trip Back-to-back 30-point losses at the Garden and at the Barclays Center against the Knicks and Nets, respectively, to where Draymond Green actually had to come out to say that the team is very fragile at this moment. I don't know if it's more psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. I'm sure it's all the above, considering how terrible that they've played, although they had glimpses that game against the Celtics a couple weeks back. And in this game, which was almost a carbon copy of that Celtic game on that Saturday night, And you had Jordan Poole, 32 points, although he got ejected there for two technicals. And you had Klay Thompson sticking his tongue out at Dylan Brooks as he was on the floor after hitting a three, sidestepping his way up the court, which did he really need to do? Of course not. And as they want to call this a rivalry, but as we all know, the Memphis team 
has been good over the last couple of years, but we know Golden State's a champion. We know that they've been through the rigors and been through a lot more battles than the young Grizzly team has. So to call the rivalry at this stage, it's a little premature, but who knows as we get deeper into the season and maybe even a rematch in the postseason, let's see once the games are heightened and a lot more is on the line, maybe there could be a brewing rivalry there out West. And then finally, you had Phoenix and Denver. And oh, by the way, Steph Curry's going to be out another couple of weeks with that injured shoulder. So that's something to keep of note. And then lastly, Phoenix at Denver. Devin Booker had to leave the game early with a groin injury as he only played about four and a half minutes. And that was the groin injury that he suffered about a week ago. Who knows what his status is going to be moving forward. But another triple-double by Nikola Jokic. I understand it's the last game of the day. It coincided with the Tampa-Arizona game, but I'm sure by then everybody was basketball and footballed out. So I'm sure a lot of people didn't watch this game. But Jokic showed why he's a two-time defending MVP with with another triple-double, excuse me. I believe his 83rd triple-double of his career. When you think about it, you probably ask yourself, how the hell did all these triple-doubles come about? Because when you think about triple-doubles, especially over the last, I'll say, five, six years, of course, LeBron's going to come to mind, Luka Doncic is going to come to mind, even Russell Westbrook, James Harden. You're not thinking Nikola Jokic, but 83 of these triple-doubles from a big man, a center, goes to show you how that team is all around Jokic, and as long as he gets some good performances there from a supporting cast, this team, who is currently in first place at the moment, who knows, they could have a big season and maybe some championship aspiration hopes out in the Rocky Mountain High. So that's what you have with the NBA. Other than that, nothing much else to discuss as we get to the final week here of the 2022 calendar. As I take off my high tops and put on my skates, NHL, very quiet this weekend. Why? There weren't any games played. A surprise Christmas break, which I, I don't think I've ever even seen or have come to know or realize that the NHL takes a four-day break, no games Christmas Eve, no games Christmas Day, and no games tonight. And there were actually no games on Friday, if I'm not mistaken, on the 23rd. So you're going to have games back on the schedule starting tomorrow, which for the first time, like I said, I didn't realize that the NHL takes a break like this, notwithstanding the Olympics, of course, when the... Games are going to be played every four years. So the NHL takes a little bit of a break, which I guess is good for them. And knowing that into this weekend, maybe with the NFL and the NBA going to overshadow and swallow the NHL, maybe they thought, ah, we'll just take a step back. If that's the case, good for them. But the news of note of the NHL, I guess, not only over the weekend, but since last week, you had Alexander Ovechkin score two goals, who not only tied, but also passes Gordy Howe for second all-time, and now only has Mount Gretzky to climb. At 894, he is currently 92 goals away, which is ironic when you think about it because 92 goals were the most goals scored in one NHL season in the history of the sport, and that was none other by Wayne Gretzky, which I believe was in the 81-82 season. So with Ovechkin 92 goals away, let's see how much he gets this year as he gets closer to Gretzky. Obviously, he's not going to catch him this year. You would think maybe sometime by the end of the next regular season and the 23-24 season. So nobody stands between 
he and Gretzky as he's the last guy that he has to reach all time as far as NHL goals scored. But as far as teams go, the Devils who have been hot as a pistol and we talked about this last week with the Hurricanes and their winning streak and it looked like the Devils, they were going to continue this torrid stretch until the end of the regular season. Ha ha, they have hit a big time skid where they've lost not only 7 of 8 but 8 of 11 and the Hurricanes have won 8 in a row to the point where they're in first place in the Metropolitan Division with 50 points, the Devils at 46 and you have the other teams that are slowly but surely creeping up in the standings the Penguins, the Rangers, etc. But the Devils for their 12 game winning streak early on this year and them competing with the Bruins for the best record and best point total in the sport boy have they done a 360 or even a 180 with the way they performed here over the last two and a half weeks and the Carolina Hurricanes have been that storming through the Metropolitan to the top of the standings so the Hurricanes are a team that we're going to have to look out here and see what they could do as we get deeper and closer to the halfway point of this NHL season. And then one other thing before I pivot, a week from today, not on January 1st because you have NFL games galore, but a week from today, 2 p.m., your Winter Classic is in Boston, Fenway Park, Penguins, Bruins. So just keep that in mind as we get closer to another Winter Classic with the game being in Fenway. And we did have a game in Fenway, I believe it was 2010, off the top of my head, when the Flyers also invaded Fenway Park at that time. And I think it was a 2-1 game. If I'm not mistaken, I think the Flyers may have won that game in overtime. But anyway, so that's just something to keep in the back of your Memory bank, if you're wondering on January 1st, was the NHL game? No, it's on the 2nd, the day after, is when you'll see the Outdoor Winter Classic. Now as I take off my skates and put on the batting gloves and bat to take a few hacks here with Major League Baseball, and I hate to belabor this point because all you need to do is just go back to the previous podcast to get my thoughts and how I spewed on the whole Carlos Correa deal coming to the Mets the 11th hour etc etc and now I have to talk about albeit for a couple minutes this latest development with the medical issue that the Mets and Correa are quote unquote working through and all I have to say is that if you're Steve Cohen and if you couldn't read the tea leaves in San Francisco the day prior to you signing him where they had to postpone the introduction to the San Francisco Bay Area media to have the jersey raised and for him to be all pomp and circumstance with the press conference there. If that wasn't a red flag for you and you want to come in in the 11th hour to swoop in and save the day to show all the Met fans out there that you mean business, that you're putting your money where your mouth is, etc., etc. Well, guess what? I can't say that I speak for all Met fans, but if you happen to walk away from this deal, it'll be perfectly fine. And it's no offense to the player. It's no offense to what he's capable of doing on this team, knowing that he doesn't have to be the man. But with this deal, which could be shortened, I understand based on whatever they get back from their medicals and the physical, etc., that who knows, it may not end up being 12 years at 315, maybe eight years, nine years, maybe, dare I say, four or five. But the point of the matter is, we understand, Steve Cohen, that you're pushing all your chips in the middle of the table. You want a championship. You want to deliver this to your fan base. I get it. But you know what? It's okay if you just walk away. Because as much as you're committed to winning, we don't want you to be committed to stupidity. 
Because if you're willing to pay a ball player who has damaged goods from an injury that dates back to 2014 when he had a broken fibula, and if you think that Correa is going to be the guy, the final piece to save the day, maybe you can wait till the All-Star break to try to get that bat or to get a player, maybe not of that magnitude, but someone who's going to fit in nicely to be able to put this Met team over the top for the first time in, in what will be 37 years. So you don't have to worry about giving him an eight-year, nine-year, 200 and some odd million or 12 for 315 as it was originally constituted. And I get it. You want to be able to put all your fingerprints on this to say that I brought this championship to New York, to Queens. But as I said the other day, and I'm not going to repeat it, there's no need. You can walk away. It's perfectly okay. It's fine. I'm sure you could maybe finagle a trade to try to get another player or another bat. It's okay. This is not a high risk. This is a highest risk, high reward type of deal. Maybe even medium reward because it's not as if Correa has put up MVP numbers in the past. We know he's a clutch player. We know he's a money player, etc. But he's not a guy that's going to end up in the top two or three in the MVP voting year in and year out. So even if you do happen to lower the deal and it says that the likelihood of the Mets signing him, it's pretty high. But one more time, Mr. Cohen, to whoever gets this, if somebody can relay this message to him, if you don't sign Correa, it's all right. It's not the end of the world. It's not as if we're going to be less of a World Series threat or a bona fide championship contending team. That's all I'm going to say about that. As for... Another player who now is reinstated and is re-welcome or reintroduced to the world, I should say, is the one Trevor Bauer. A couple days ago, through an arbiter, how they reinstated the former Cy Young Award winner of the Dodgers. Actually, the Dodgers were thrown for a loop because they thought that the word was going to come down on Bauer after the start of the year. His suspension, which was 324 games or two years, had been cut down to now 194, which he's already served 144 of those games. So even though he has 50 games remaining and will be docked those 50 games, he's guaranteed $22 million on the last year of a deal, whether it's in LA or not. But he is open for business, and now it's up for the Dodgers. They have between now and January 6th on whether or not They should bring him to the team. And it's interesting because the Dodgers, with everything that has happened so far this offseason, where they brought in relievers, where they re-signed Clayton Kershaw, but we all know Walker Buehler is not going to be in as he's still rehabbing from Tommy John surgery. Tyler Anderson went down the 405 freeway to Anaheim to sign with the Angels. And they do need starting pitching, even with Julio Urias at the top of that rotation. But Bauer is a guy that may intrigue them to say, should we roll the dice for one more year and bring him back? I would think that would be a PR disaster knowing what had transpired here over the last two years with all these allegations and the text messages, etc. with the woman that uh, took place in Pasadena. I would think the Dodgers may punt on this. So who knows where he's going to land in 2023? Would it be a situation where the Dodgers do bring him back because of what I just mentioned? It is possible, but I think that they would probably want to be able to come out shining bright, or not even just shining bright, but just being PC, knowing that 
they will not have the baggage and the specter of Bauer casting over this team, him being the self-promoter that he is, him being a guy that is obviously very quirky, that is all about him and his business and his attitude and his arrogance. So maybe the Dodgers will not want to look to bringing back Bauer, despite the fact that they do need another starting pitcher in their rotation in the worst way. So we shall see. If you ask me right now, I don't have any inside information, but I would think the Dodgers would just release him. Yeah, they may have to pay $22 million, but they'd rather get rid of the headache as opposed to bringing him in, even if he does have a very good year. And mind you, he's not going to pitch for two years as I talked about earlier with Deshaun Watson, and I get it. The rigors of an NFL quarterback are much different than a starting pitcher. But with Bauer, and he's going to hear the boos, and he's going to be a guy that everybody's going to just try to cast whatever negativity toward him, and it's going to be just a firestorm and a lightning rod for all types of controversy and attention that is unwanted. I would think that no matter where he pitches... It's going to be tough sledding for Trevor Bauer in 2023. That's just me. But that's what we got there with Bauer coming back to the mix. And again, he already served 144 games. He's got to serve 50 more. It's not as if by having him reinstated, it's a situation where, oh, he should play out the whole two years. Hey, listen, he's serving a majority of the suspension as is. So you know what? Have him back and let's see where the chips fall. As far as other news and notes in baseball... Craig Kimbrell signs with the Phillies, one year, $10 million. That's a flyer, big time. Knowing that Kimbrell, with his past and having pretty much built himself, I'm not going to say a Hall of Fame resume, but he has had dominant years. He has been a dominant closer, but now is really falling on the back end of his career. So the Phillies are rolling the dice to see what they could come up with here with the former All-Star closer. I don't think he has much left, but you know what? He's better than a lot of other guys out there. And you just, as I said, take a flyer to see what he could do here in this upcoming season. Michael Conforto finds a home as he goes to San Francisco. The former Met who sat out all of last year recovering from a shoulder issue. Two years, $36 million to the Bay Area. As well as Taylor Rogers, the former Padre and Brewer closer. Now reunites with his twin brother in San Francisco and... With him signing three years for $33 million, you know the Giants had to do something, so at least they bring some reinforcements in the bullpen. And a bat in the lineup, left-handed, but who knows? He hasn't played in which will be two years, and now Conforto will resurrect his major league career not too far from home where he grew up in Washington State, so I'm sure it's somewhat of a reunion being back close to the Pacific Northwest for him. And that's what you have there as far as baseball goes. So who knows, come Thursday, we'll see what else is going to unfold in this whole Korea drama soap opera with the Mets. So stay tuned for that. And then lastly, some sad news out of MMA and UFC. Stefan Bonner, who is a huge part of putting the UFC on the map back, what was it, 15, 16 years ago, with his famous fight with Forrest Griffin, part of the series of The Ultimate Fighter, reality show which I believe was on Spike at the time and I remember that being a big thing and obviously chronicling that journey of these two fighters who had that epic bout and kept UFC on cable and obviously becoming what it is today as a mega sport 
in the universe. Unfortunately, died at the age of 45 due to heart complications. What that was from, who knows? Just a very sad story and a lot of outpouring in the UFC MMA community. Joe Rogan, who's obviously a big fixture in that circuit, of course, being a commentator on all the epic UFC bouts, had nothing but glowing things to say, and I'm sure that just trickled down to anyone and everyone who had touched base or was in contact with Bonner. Thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to him and his family. Just very sad and untimely of his passing only at the age of 45. And that'll do it, my good people. Another episode in the books. Super grateful and thankful as always as we close out the year together. Another year almost in the books. Sports year, but as well, just with the podcast. And I'll have some more comments in my final podcast come Thursday. But again, your participation is never taken for granted. Thank you so much for stopping by. I gratefully appreciate it. If you want to contribute in your own way, in two ways, but in this one in particular, if you haven't subscribed, please do so. Leave a rating, post a review. I would greatly appreciate it. All that's going to do is increase the visibility, as you know, from the very outset of this podcast, as I noted it then. And of course, in closing, I have to note it one more time. Just so we could get the word out, the J Reels podcast, the one-man operation that I am, independent podcasting at its finest. So if you could share that with the sports fans, share it on social media, share it with me or the casual or diehard sports fan in your life, one more time, I would sincerely and be eternally grateful for you guys and gals in doing that. If you want to hit me up, you could do so at any of the following social media accounts on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, The J Reels Podcast. On Twitter, jreels one just the number, and the jreels Podcast at gmail.com. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, suggestions, you could do so there. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And if you want to contribute in your own way, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R-E-O-N, as in Nancy, patreon.com slash the jreels Podcast. I haven't posted, I wanted to post up by Christmas, but with a lot going on over the last couple of days, I wasn't able to do so, but rest assured before the year is out, I will put up a final post leading into the first post of the year on that platform. Whatever you want to put forth will contribute to this endeavor. All of it that's going to the production, the upkeep of the website, the equipment, for your experience to hear my voice through this microphone into your earbuds and speakers, because whether you do or do not know, this is why I love to talk about people. The passion, fire, Fury, energy, with my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praises on anything and everything that happens in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>